Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is Seth Brisker. I am blessed to be the worship pastor, creative arts pastor here at Christ Community Wesleyan Church. So usually at this point I am uh, sitting down. I would have just been up there. Um, but can we just um, just give it up for the worship band? I, I don't have the opportunity to do such a thing because then I'm asking you to applaud for myself. When I'm not up there, I can ask you to applaud for the worship band um, because they just rocked it this morning, especially the pretty girl in the middle. I'm going to have to get her number after this. She's my wife, just in case you don't know what's going on there, but... Today, I'm blessed to be able to um, bring you the word. We've been in a series called Life's Big Questions. We actually just started last week this series called Life's Big Questions. And we're going through these questions and, and looking at kind of some of, some of the big questions that we have in, as people of faith in life. Last week, we, we looked at the basic question, does God exist And this week, uh, we're looking at the huge question of how could God, how could a good God allow so much suffering? How could a good God allow so much suffering? And as we press into this, I just want to uh, reiterate what Pastor Steve said last week about asking questions, and we're we're able to draw closer to God in our our question asking. And I want to just focus on the fact that, that Jesus welcomes our questions, there's no question that we, we can bring that's offensive to God. There's no question that we can bring that, that, that disappoints God. God welcomes our questions. And it's through our questions that we are drawn closer to Him. And so we're doing this series called Life's Big Questions. And as I was thinking through this, this topic of, of how a good God could allow so much suffering and, and just thinking through questions in general that we have in life, preparing uh, to be preaching this sermon today, my wife Kelsey has this keychain, and she's had it for a while, and I just noticed that the other day she was driving and I was in the passenger seat, and I looked down, and it's this very large keychain. I don't even know why she used it, because it's humongous, but anyway, uh, just my preference, I guess. It's this very large keychain. And it has a picture of an anchor on it. And above the anchor, it says, refuse to sink. And she's had this keychain for a while. And and let me just preface that it was a gift, she told me, as I proceeded to make fun of it, when it dawned on me how silly this keychain is. Because it's a picture of an anchor, and it says, refuse to sink. Maybe you're thinking, why is he talking about this? An anchor saying, refuse to sink. Friends, if an anchor refused to sink, it would defeat its entire purpose for the reason it was made. And so I proceeded to make fun of Kelsey's keychain that said, refuse to sink. It's a picture of an anchor. And as I began to think about it, and as I began to, I I guess this is just my my own problem in life, as I just kind of um, look at things too philosophically, but I thought, how silly of a keychain. And then I thought, this is the reality that we have in our own society, as we're constantly given this self-help, this, this self-love message from society. We're like that anchor on the keychain, and we're told, refuse to sink. 
But the reality is, is the anchor's sole purpose in life is to sink. And until it sinks, it can't really accomplish its entire purpose in its life. And I realize the anchor doesn't have feelings, but imagine with me for a moment that the anchor has feelings. It's probably not a great feeling, a great experience as the anchor's sinking to the bottom. But the anchor gets to the bottom and it accomplishes its purpose. But we as a people are postured to reject anything that's unpleasant, even if it's part of our greater purpose. And so as we're looking at these big questions, specifically this question today of how could a good God allow so much suffering, I want us to just accept the fact that, that we are like the anchor, and we can't refuse to do the sole thing that the Lord has purposed us to do, or else we miss the entire point of this journey of life. Today's question in terms of philosophy, if, you're, if you were studying this in, in philosophical studies in, in, a, in a college course, they would call this the problem of evil. The problem of evil for a skeptic, one who is skeptical of the Christian faith, their, their argument for the problem of evil is, is this, how can we connect an all-knowing good God to the blatant wrongdoings in society? This is the problem of evil for a skeptic. How could we possibly connect an all-knowing good God to the blatant wrongdoings in society? Their argument, and maybe your argument may be even here today, if maybe you find yourself in the skeptic position, uh, their argument is that either God is all-powerful, but not all-good, therefore he won't stop suffering, or God is all-good, but not all-powerful, therefore he cannot stop suffering. This is the problem of evil in the skeptic's view. In the atheist view, one who rejects God, the, the, the entire existence of God, this is the, what they hinge their entire, entire argument on, that there can't possibly be a God because evil and suffering do in fact exist. If there were a higher being, if, if, if there were this deity, this God that existed if this God was truly in control, then it would not permit suffering. It would not permit evil. There would be no discomfort in life. So therefore, their conclusion is that God doesn't exist. Let me tell you, as I have studied for this uh, sermon this week, I have gone on an entire roller coaster ride. There are a thousand different ways you could uh, approach this argument. And so the, the, the route that I finally ended up going, the route that I feel the Lord uh, took me to go this morning, uh, may be something completely different than any of you would stand up here and preach or, or sit a, 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 with, with a friend at, at dinner and argue. But the reality is, is this morning, as the church, as people of faith, even if we're skeptical, even if we have our questions, even if we're bringing our doubts and our concerns, the reality is is that we're faced with a problem. The problem is, can suffering coexist with a good God? Can suffering coexist with a good God? This is the problem we are faced with, no matter where we approach this argument from. Can suffering, can evil, can discomfort coexist with a good God? But you see, the question, in my opinion, 
or the problem, in my opinion, is the question itself. The fact that we're asking the question kind of serves us the problem because what we need to establish first and foremost is who determines what is good. Who is it that determines what is good? We're defining God to be a good God, but who are, we, who are we basing that definition upon? Because the reality is, is we are humans. What you say is good is different than what I say is good. Some of you think that running is good. <laughs> Clearly, I do not. <laughs> Some of you think that coffee is not good. If you know anything about me, clearly you're wrong. (laughs) Some of you think that that winter is good and others of you think that summer is good. You see, our our definition of good is, is on a spectrum as human beings. What you say is good is going to be different than what the person beside you says is good, what the person across the room says is good. Thus, we must land on an answer to last week's question before we can truly engage in this argument. Does God exist? Because if we're going to put that aside, if that's going to be just a mute point in our argument, all we're doing is arguing our own opinion based on what I say is good and what you say is good. So we're going to have to land on on an answer to last week's question, does God exist? Because friends, if he doesn't exist, the answer to this question doesn't even matter. If God doesn't exist, nothing in this world we experience even matters. We're just here to live and have a little bit of happiness we can grasp onto and fight our fights and die. If he doesn't exist, this question doesn't matter. We have to settle the primary question first. Do I believe God exists? Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. I believe at this point, we have to be willing to at least believe he exists if we're going to build any sort of reasonable argument for the coexistence of suffering. If God exists, then we can move forward. But if he exists, we must examine who he is. In our very first introduction to God in the Bible is a creator. In the beginning, God created. That's the very first introduction we as human beings have to God. So if God exists, we first see first and foremost that he is a creator. In the beginning, God created. Then as we know, this is followed by a call and response of God speaking all of the world into existence. God spoke and it was. God said and it was. God God declared and it was. We see God as a creator. And we come to Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. 
God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Verse 31 there says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. So here we see God, we've been introduced to God as a creator. And the very next thing we see the creator doing, he is deeming or calling the creation good. You see, friends, our standard of goodness has to come from the giver of goodness. We had the creator creating the world, creating creation, creating us, and he deems us good. If we truly believe that he is the creator and we are the creation, then we must forfeit our own ability to tell God what is good and what is not. Because, friends, we don't have the moral authority over God. He's the creation. We're the creator. He holds the moral authority over us. He created us. Jesus tells us in Mark 10, 18, that no one except God is good. No one is good except God alone. Thus, the good creator sets the moral authority of goodness over humanity, not us. Which brings us to the acknowledgement The acknowledgement is this, God is indeed good. The creator is in fact good. He's the one that declares goodness. He's the one that that acknowledges goodness. So we too must come to this acknowledgement that God is good. Amen? Amen? God the creator is the one who is able to declare what is good. God the creator is the one who is able to declare what is evil. We have no say in in the argument. It's the creator who's declaring what is good and what is not. God doesn't become good just because I think he is good. God doesn't become good just because you declare him to be good. God isn't good because I just said God is good and you just said amen. God is good because God is good. Thus humanity was only good because he declared us good. But right now you're still thinking, but if God is good, we we already acknowledge that in the whole question. If God is good, why is there so much suffering? If God is good, then then what about all the suffering I'm, I'm going through? What about this evil I experienced? What about the pain in my heart today? If God is good, then what about that? Let's go keep going through this account in Genesis. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. Then the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here we're brought to an implication. To me, this verse is implying to us 
that it was God's desire to shield our eyes from evil. It was God's desire to shield our eyes from evil. This can be the the implication that we take from this text. He says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't want them to be burdened with such a knowledge. He didn't want the people, he didn't want us, his creation, to have the knowledge of the difference between good and evil. And so it's implied here that, that it was his desire, it was the creator's desire to shield the eyes of the creation from evil. Which also brings us to the other implication. Evil existed within God's very good creation. Evil existed within God's very good creation. It can be assumed that at this point in, crea- in the creation account that there is good and there is evil. That both clearly exist. We have a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Evil was already there. At this point, everything's great in, in the creation account. In the Garden of Eden is paradise. The people, the creation, have no knowledge of the difference that exists of good and evil. It's just good. But we see here there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Therefore, evil existed within God's very good creation. It can also be assumed that the people had no knowledge of this reality. Everything was just as God intended it to be. Everything was good. They knew nothing otherwise. But as we know, evil is lurking among them. So we come to Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from the tree of any tree in the garden? But the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree from the, we may eat the tree. Let me back up here. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So today I thought it would be appropriate on this Mother's Day Sunday to argue how Scripture gives us the reality that women are indeed responsible for the fall. (laughs) And then I decided, no, Seth, don't do it. As a matter of fact, Paul actually blames it on the man in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Hear this, church, humanity, people, the creation, not God is responsible for sin. 
We are the ones responsible for sin. We all come from Adam's race. We are responsible for our sinful nature, not God. But still, you may argue, and you would have a valid point, why was the tree even there in the first place? Why was the tree there in the first place? If it was God's desire to shield our eyes from evil, to keep us from suffering, why would he put this tree in the garden? The reality is this. As we read through Scripture and as we, as we go through the account of the Word of God, we find that God is not only good. We find He is omnipotent, all-powerful, omnis- omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, always, everywhere. We find that He is wise, that He is faithful, that He is grace- gracious, that He is just. We find that He is merciful, just to name a few. And we find that in his wisdom and his loving kindness, God created humanity to live in paradise and to live in freedom. He created us to live in harmony with himself and with one another. He gave us work to pursue, a garden to cultivate. He gave us dominion to reign over the entire earth. He made Adam and Eve as close to God's as any human has ever been. They had no needs, they had no pain, they had no concern, they had no shame. They were completely and fully set up to live in eternal paradise and eternal comfort. But God, the creator, saw it fit in his sovereignty and in his all-knowingness and in his all-powerfulness, he saw it fit to give this creation the ability to choose whether or not they would obey him. He didn't want to create us to be fish in a fishbowl. He wanted to give us the opportunity to thrive. He wanted to give us the ability to live in abundance. And so I would argue that it's because God is good that evil and suffering exist in this world. It's because of his goodness that evil is permitted to exist in this world. It's because he was so good to us, the creation, that he gave us the choice. And through his goodness and through his graciousness, God created us in his image. And he created us with the free will to choose to worship him in paradise or to follow our own desires to follow the ways of our hearts. He gave us the ability, he gave us the opportunity to make the choice for ourselves because no one likes to be told what to do. Have you met four-year-olds? Further, have you met people? We don't like to be told what to do. No one likes to be told what to do. And the reality we must face is that God created us that way. God revealed his goodness to us through not forcing us to worship and obey him. He reveals his goodness to us by not telling us what to do. God reveals his goodness to us by inviting us, not forcing us into relationship with him. But although he is good, God is also holy. 
and he is just. So the consequences of the choice that he lends to us must be reconciled. The consequences of the choice that humanity made to follow the desires of their own heart, to follow the prompting of their own spirit, and not to follow the, the, the command, the, the invitation of the creator, has to be reconciled. Genesis 3, and this is a bit of a long passage, so just stick with me here. Because here we see the consequences of humanity's choice to follow their own desires. Genesis 3, 8 to 24. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman gave to me, gave to be, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, is this what you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And then he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Then the man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way of the tree of life. So here we have the consequence. Manipulating God's goodness must be punished. Manipulation of God's goodness has to be punished because, again, God is holy and he is just. Even though he is good, we must receive punishment for manipulating his goodness. Every action in this world has consequences. This is what we teach four-year-olds. Your actions have consequences. You're free to pursue any action you want, but not free from the consequences of those actions. 
You're able to do whatever you want to do in this world, in this country, in this place that we live, but you're not going to be free from the consequences of it. And so here we see Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. This is the consequence. The consequence of using your freedom to disobey God is death, or rather suffering of what we're looking at today. God said, do not eat from this tree or you will die. Eat from any other one. But the tree was there. The knowledge was available. The choice was theirs. And they made their choice. Thus, consequences exist. For the wages of sin is death. For the consequence of manipulating God's goodness is indeed death, suffering. But if you're familiar with this passage, Romans 6.23, it doesn't stop there. God is indeed just, but he is indeed good. And though we strayed from him, he had a plan to the consequences of our choice for us. He had a plan to to remedy the consequences of our choice for us. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He could have left it at the wages of sin is death. You made your choice. There you go. But God is indeed good. And he said, the wages, the consequences of your choice is suffering. But my gift to you is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, as we see in John 1, 1 to 5, Jesus was there all along. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Who is this one we're talking about? It's Jesus. From the very moment the creator spoke the world into existence, the Messiah was there. The Savior was with him. He was there in the beginning. Not one thing that was created was created not through him. While God looked at his beautiful creation and declared it to be very good, while evil was lurking among them, while the people chose to disobey God, Jesus was there and the plan for your redemption was already set into place. The reality from the very moment of creation is that the good and loving God had a plan He had a solution before there was ever a problem. Before there was ever suffering, he had the solution. And the same holds true for our current circumstances today. God has a solution in place for us in the midst of our suffering here and now. And that solution is Jesus. Before the car accident, before the miscarriage, before the separation, before the misunderstanding, before the broken relationship, before whatever you've brought into this place today that has your mind suffering and and afflicted, before any of that pain that you feel in this moment, before the darkness, the light was already there. 
Jesus has been with us all along the way. And he promises to be with us the rest of the way yet. Jesus told us in John 16, he said, I tell you these things so that in me you may have peace. Hear this, he says, you will have suffering in this world. But be courageous. Take hold. For I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Paul breaks it down for us like this, Romans 8, 18. He says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is going to be revealed to us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Thus, friends, we come to the conclusion We judge God's goodness in light. We must judge God's goodness in light of eternity, not our present sufferings. That's our conclusion to all of this. We must judge God's goodness in light of eternity, not in light of our present suffering. If we're judging in light of our present suffering, we're left to just our own accord, our own opinion our own matters of truth, personal truth. If we judge the goodness of God in light of eternity, we are left with the solution, Jesus, the one who is making all things new. So how is it that that a good God could allow so much suffering because he loved us enough to give us the ability to choose to love him back? And he promises that even the suffering endured by those who love him will be used for their good. If we keep going in that passage of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says, all things work together for the good of those who love God. How is it that God could allow so much suffering? Because he promises that even our current present sufferings can't even compare to the eternal riches that he has for us. What's more is that he promises that our present sufferings in this world are going to be used for our good. Again, the anchor, refuse to sink, don't refuse to sink. Live into that purpose that God has, has developed you for. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he has a purpose for us. And it's only going to be found through that sinking. Because we, as a human race, chose to live against God. But in his goodness, he promised to use it all for our good. As I've shared before, my wife Kelsey and I have been foster parents for uh, five years now. It feels like a hundred. And we've had 11 children cycle through our home and our hearts. And I think the one, other than the the ones that are with us now and are are going to be with us uh, forever until we kick them out. 
But the one that I think holds the biggest piece of, of my heart specifically, I'm going to call him Johnny. That wasn't his name, but I'm going to call him Johnny. He was our very first placement. And Kelsey and I went through the foster classes. We were bought into the mission that, that foster care was meant to uh, reunify children to their biological family. But in the back of our hearts, we were just longing to adopt. And so in enters Johnny. And we're told this will just be uh, a week, maybe a month. Fifteen months later. Kelsey and I are bringing Johnny to the airport. I mean, as if it wasn't dramatic enough. We're taking him to the airport. He had family out of state. So we had to drop him off at the airport because he was going to live with family out of state. For 15 months, I was Johnny's father. Kelsey was Johnny's mother. For 15 months, I would see Kelsey tending to Johnny and I would just feel my, my heart ache because we had been told every chance they got to remind us that we were never going to get to keep Johnny. He's just here temporarily. They're waiting to see if, if Biomom was able to work the plan and if, if the family out of state was able to take him. And we were just kind of the, the holding piece and all of that. For 15 months... We saw a three-month-old baby grow into a precious little boy. And he knew me as his dad and Kelsey as his mom. For 15 months, I prayed, why, God, are you doing this to us? We're not strong enough to handle this. Just take him already. For 15 months, and I remember the day we dropped him off at the airport. It was early in the morning. It was, it was the most dramatic event you could possibly write this story to be. We dropped him off at the airport. We hand him over to the caseworker, and the caseworker is carrying him away, and he's literally reaching for us crying. And as we turned to get in the car, I felt for the first time in 15 months, breath enter my lungs. Because all I could do was hold my breath for 15 months, thinking, Lord, just make it stop. And six other children cycling through our home. Six other children with very specific needs, very specific difficulties. Stress upon stress upon stress, caseworkers, in and out, visitations with biological parents, six other children. And I had the same prayer. Why, God, why? You know the desires of our hearts. Why would you do this? And then we met the son that we would eventually adopt. And the Lord made it clear in that very moment why. Because all of those children had prepared us for a child who needed a very specific set of parents. And Kelsey's going to kill me for telling the story because she has to sing in just a moment. But I saw the Lord reveal his goodness in the midst of that suffering that we had experienced for three and a half years up until that moment that Owen entered our home. And even still, even yesterday, I thought, why God? Certainly there's someone else who can do this better than us. 
because he has needs and he has suffered things that no child should have to suffer. But God had been preparing us with each of those children, each of them having a piece of the things that Owen experiences today. And he experiences all of them collectively together. But we saw and we see the Lord's hand of mercy, the good creator's hand working in our suffering for three and a half years until we finally came to that moment where he opened up our eyes and said, this is why. This is why I, a good God, could allow suffering. Because we needed formed in that fire. Because he knew that Owen was coming into our home. And he knew that Owen was going to need parents that, that had been prepared in the way that we had been prepared. And so in light of that, I reflect on this verse, Romans eleven thirty three to 36. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And so we're left with this promise. Because God is good, he doesn't just leave us with a conclusion, he leaves us with a promise. The promise is this, the creator has a plan and a power. The creator has a plan greater and a power stronger than anything the creation can fully comprehend. The creator has a power, I'm getting it all mixed up. The creator has a plan greater and a power stronger than anything we, our earthly minds, could fully comprehend. And maybe your current suffering isn't going to be used or be revealed in the same way mine and Kelsey's suffering has been. But guess what? Our, our, our past suffering has just uh, come into to just different suffering now. And we're praying and hoping that someday it'll make just as much sense as that past suffering did. But maybe for you today, that answer is not going to come this side of heaven. Because personally, I don't believe we will ever fully understand our suffering on this side of eternity. But I do believe in a good God who created us and equipped us with a purpose a good God who sealed us with a promise to sustain us no matter what comes. A good God who gave us the ability to choose to love and adore him, to choose to worship him, or to walk away and reject him. The bottom line in our suffering is this. Christ has been, is now, and always will be with us. Therefore, we can look forward to sharing in God's eternal glory no matter what. I don't know what you're going through today. And as we sing this last song, I don't want you to just respond out of some sort of emotional experience because I just told that story. I didn't tell that story to create some emotional experience. I don't know what suffering it is you showed up with today. And I don't know if maybe you expected a, a, a more a definite answer than what I just gave. But I do know this. 
your suffering is not going unnoticed by the good, good Father. He sees you. He hears you. He mourns with you. And he loves you. In the midst of your suffering here and now, know that God is good. Let's pray together. Would you rise with me as we pray and as we conclude in song? God, we thank you that you are good. Lord, that you created us to be good. That you deemed us good. That you defined goodness. And God, that you were so good that you gave us the ability, the opportunity, the freedom to respond to your goodness or to reject it and go our own way. Lord, you invited us to be in relationship with you. And you're not forcing us, you're not commanding us, you're not pressuring us. Your still small voice is just simply calling out to us in the midst of our suffering. You're reminding us and promising us that you are indeed good and that you are using this present suffering for our good and for the promise of eternal glory. So God, we bring our doubts, we bring our questions, we bring our confusion, but we bring them forth to a good, good Father. We thank you for loving us. We love you. It's in your Son. Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.